before a word is uttered from behind this pulpit. We need to go to the very one we just sang about. Let's pray. Father, I pray that just just what we sang is in the heart of every believer here today, that it is well with my soul. Father, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to drain me of myself and just pour your spirit out on this congregation this morning that you might be honored and lifted up and glorified, that people would see Jesus in each one of us as we walk this earth. I just ask that you'd go before us this morning, and and may this be a time of not only learning and, and enjoying one another, but rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. We commit our time to you this morning, Father, and ask that above all you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, in case you didn't know already. I want to start out this morning by asking a simple question and by showing a raising of hands. How many of you in this congregation this morning have been here more than 20 years? Eh, Okay, maybe 15 I ask that question for a reason because it's going to help me to do what I'm about to do. What I desire to share with you today is uh, something that I've had on my heart for a very long time. It's something that really is personal to me and it became very evident when we sang that last song. For those of you who have been here since the very beginning, you know what I mean. That was a deeply emotional song for me to sing this morning and you'll find out why. But having said that, I have a great concern, uh, and that's why I said it was personal. I have a great concern as one of the elders of this precious body of believers. I want to present what I'm about to tell you in a positive light. I don't want to do it in negative, and I'm trusting as I prayed the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us and me. This message is not going to be a deep theological message but I trust it will be one that will challenge us from all biblical perspectives. I have a lot of verses to share with you today, and you'll probably find them in your bulletin. I didn't do an outline. I'm not a fill-in-the-blanks guy, and that's fine because I enjoy Ken's messages where we fill in the blanks and we learn. We take it home and we learn. So you're going to have to do the homework this morning. Uh, A lot of what I have to share with you I'm asking the Spirit of God to use those verses to teach you. I want you to turn to Psalm 78 with me, please. You have one verse there that really was the catalyst that got me to thinking about sharing what I'm going to share with you today. Now, we have to put this in context because what the psalmist here, Asaph, is talking about really deals with the generation to come, and he's gently warning them if you will, not to repeat the sins of the previous generation. But that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on verse 4. Verse 4 reads, Tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. The context in the beginning of that psalm describes God's wonderful acts of, of deliverance Blessing and guidance. 
they are recalled to serve as a lesson for the psalmist's generation. That verse really sums up what's in my heart. Tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Can you see me now? (laughs) Many of you have probably sat on grandma and grandpa's lap. A few of you might still do that. Grandma and grandpa or maybe mom and dad would tell you stories of what it was like when they were growing up. They tell you about the fun times, the challenges, and hopefully the blessings of God. They would generally end with, That's not the way it is now. Some of us have had to lovingly endure the same stories over and over again. Amen? That's okay. I'd like to begin by taking a trip down memory lane. You feel the warmth of that fireplace? I don't have a scarf, I don't have a cigar, I don't have a pipe. But I tell you what, it's warm. I want, to, I want to take you down memory lane and briefly tell you about how our church began and the commitment that it took then and that same commitment that is needed today. Humor me by symbolically, and Wayne, I say symbolically because I want you to sit on my lap symbolically <laughs> while I share about the power and the faithfulness of our gracious Lord and the commitment of the family of God at Alfred Elman in those formative years. The reason I had you raise your hand was because I I thought after talking with some of the old-timers, like Bob and myself, there's there's probably a lot of people who have no idea how this all started. And unfortunately, I'm not a person who can do pictures, or I would have pictures up here, but there will hopefully come a time in the not-too-distant future, I'm putting this on record, Donna, that we'll come up with a picture history of what took place here. In 1975, the Lord began working in the hearts of some folks who were attending two different Bible studies, one in Alford and one in Elman. He was moving in their hearts to consider the formation of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church right here in this area. Coincidentally, the world would say, but we know it wasn't coincidence, God was working in the heart of a man in Buffalo, New York, who was a part of AMOC. How many know what AMOC means? A few. American Mission for Opening Churches. Okay? The heart of that man was Dan Kenyon. We'll move forward a little bit. Dan Kenyon came to this area and went to over to what was then called YFC. You all know it now as Family Life. And he talked to Dick Snavely. And Dick told him this about this area. He said, there's a group of kids, about 40 to 50 of them, and sometimes in real special events, 100 of them that meet at Bob and Helen McKnight's house. Youth for Christ kids meeting 
for a get-together and learn about the Lord. Some of you are saying yes, you remember. That dates you. So having said that, Dan's persistence pushed him to meet with each of the two Bible studies, one in Alfred and one in Alman. After a great deal of time together and praying, a lot of praying, and seeking God's will for us, we decided, let's go. Dan came back down and preached a quote-unquote trial sermon. I don't think we had him back more than once. He came and preached a trial sermon at the home of Len and Ginny Oberfeld up in Alfred. Here's a rather humorous part. Dan asked if we had any musical accompaniment, and of course we didn't in Lenny's house. There was none, but Jason Hake, one of our first elders, dear brother, and Lee Ryan, said they could sing without accompaniment. They could. But as it turns out, we all sang a cappella, and Dan was blown away. Those were his words. We took some notes a few months back. He was blown away. He went home, and without too much urging, he quit his job, gave 30-day notice at Burger King so he could start here on January 1st, 1976. The first service that we held was at Bob and Barb Baker's house in January. We continued to meet there through the rest of that month. Pastor Dan was very faithful, and I've told him this many times. He was very faithful to individually disciple all of the early church leaders. I honestly believe that was critical in the early years of our development, to have a group of men trained in God's word to lead us. Men that were not perfect, but they were willing and committed to the cause. God's faithfulness, listen to this, God's faithfulness doesn't depend on our perfection. Waiting to get perfect, you'll never make it. God's faithfulness doesn't depend on our perfection. So as from there, from that house at the at the Bakers, we in nineteen seventy six rented the Elman Grange. We all know where that is, right down middle of Elman. That's where we held services. And we used to use the homes of people within the church body for Sunday school because we just didn't have the room. Some of you know I can tend to get a little emotional when I share. This part really touches me deeply. So I ask for your indulgence. We shared a meal one Sunday after church for the sole purpose of taking an offering to purchase land and build a building. With about 12 families attending at that time, they sacrificially gave $22,000. Sacrificial giving came from people that sold their cars, their favorite jewelry. I was going to say kids, but that didn't sound right. (laughs) What 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 the kids did was they broke their piggy banks. And gave. I have two words after that expression, and you're going to hear this a lot in this message. Two words. Only God. Only God. In November of 1977, we used the money 
that we took at that offering to purchase 8.6 acres of land from Bob Jeffords. Some of you know him or knew him. Originally, Mr. Jeffords offered four acres for $8,000. Four acres here, $8,000. God, God ended up providing 8.6 acres for $6,000. The Lord dropped the price. We increased the acreage. He dropped the price from $2,000 an acre. This is God. And gave us twice as much land for less money. We went from $2,000 an acre to $700 an acre. That's for you, Dale. Math. I knew you'd be checking on me, though. You'd be probably checking to make sure it was right. Two more words. What are they? Only God. There was a barn down at the bottom of the hill. Where you turned to come up the hill, there was a barn and an old concrete silo that we had to tear down before we could begin the road. Again, by God's grace, he provided the services of a dearly departed man named Jack Emo, was the head of the construction department at BOCES. He brought his kids up here, kids up here, with all their machinery. They built the road and did all the grading just for the price of the diesel. Only God. Another moment came. Andy, you're going to appreciate this. I know that you're head of the building committee, and we know what we've had to pay for plans. Another God moment came when we didn't have a set of stamp plans to build this structure right here, the basement and the sanctuary. Dan Kenyon's home church happened to have built the exact same structure a few years before. Guess what? We got to use those engineered drawings. We broke ground for this sanctuary in this basement in 19, May of 1978. What's the next two words? Only God. The blessings just kept coming. For you guys in construction out there, those of you that work concrete, you're going to love this. During the construction of the basement and the sanctuary, it rained all around us, but not once on this site did we lose any work to rain. We never lost a day to bad weather. The sanctuary was built almost entirely by volunteers from our church family. Only God. We did have a few close calls during the construction, but again, God's grace prevailed and no one was seriously injured. You can go down in the back corner of the church if you want to test me and see if I'm fibbing you. We had and still have a very large safe from a bank in Alfred that we tried to safely lower into the basement. It got there a little faster than we expected. (laughs) And uh, quite honestly, uh, fortunately, no one was hurt. Still downstairs. That's where it's going to stay until the Lord comes. On another occasion, what we have in here, and a lot of the men that do construction know, these are called, they call scissor trusses. They're 50 feet long. We had a crane in here to set them. And we're in about halfway through, and the strap that was holding the truss that we were about to set broke. And it came crashing down again. By God's grace, no one was injured. Those were the only two real situations I can remember that were of any 
possible serious consequence. But again, only God. In April 1979, God's continuing grace uh, was abounding when we held our first service in the basement. Not up here, in the basement. It was a Maundy Thursday. And then in September of the following year, 1980, this was all completed. And we dedicated this building to the Lord in 1981. That's a snapshot of the early years. There's a lot more beyond that. But since that time, we've been able to add an education wing out there. We also have been able to add the south wing this way. This is another emotional part for me. Again, by God's grace, we have been able to do this totally debt-free. Anybody got an amen out there? Amen. Wow. To God be the glory. That's, that's, that's what we can say. Uh, on a personal note, I want to thank everybody in this congregation who had a part in that. I know there's a man sitting in the back. I'm not going to embarrass him. He was here as a 16-year-old working on this church. I purposely didn't mention a lot of other names because it was God who did it, not us. He simply used many people who were really, really, yeah, they were real, ready, willing, and able to follow his lead. If you'd be interested in some more memories, feel free to ask any of us who are still here, and there are some of us. Some of those memories are hilarious. Like the night we had a talent show and the home groups all competed with one another as Muppets. Many of the things that happened must be labeled only God could have done it. Well, the many words that might describe what I just shared with you, one of those words that stands out to me is the word commitment. What is commitment? The dictionary describes it as a state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or activity. Webster says it's an agreement or pledge to do something in the future. So what does commitment look like in your life according to the scriptures? The actual word commitment, the entire word commitment, actually I didn't find in any translations. But the word commit is found in a few places. But the whole concept of committing ourselves to the Lord, to different things in our life, that concept is all through scripture. I'm going to just read one. And the Bible verses are in the sheet you got handed out, so you don't need to write them down. If you want to put notes by them for later, that's fine. The one that I thought of absolutely first when the word commit came up was one from our Lord and Savior on the cross. Luke twenty three forty six. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Well, so how about us personally? Just a few verses that talk about that. Proverbs sixteen three. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16.3. That same thought 
is not the word commit's not used, but it's in my life verses, Proverbs three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path or make your path straight. There's many different ways they say that. Going back to the Psalms, Psalm thirty-seven, five. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Now, you have to understand what that, that's not saying that, oh, Lord, please send me a million dollars. I want to buy a house and a yacht and cars. That's not what that's saying. That's according to his will, not yours. Not yours. Going back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings 8.61. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments. We're extremely blessed to have many in our church family, our community. I've heard that word more late, and I guess that's something more the young people are used to hearing the word community and not maybe family so much. But we have many in our church community that are committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's where it has to start in every one of us. We must always be committed to Jesus Christ first. That's going to be, you're going to hear that. The music today, I couldn't believe by God's grace, it just spoke right to this, what I'm sharing. In 2 Corinthians 8, 5, the last portion, Paul mentions two types, two different types of commitment. And you'll see it readily when I read this. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Notice the order. First to God, then to us. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven goes on to say, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That's not, if I, have a th- if I think about it, that's a command. The local church is a central part of God's strategic plan for spiritual growth. Would you agree with that? The church is God's central plan for spiritual growth. Matthew 16, 18b says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. We all need the voice of the church to counteract all the deception that's crammed into your mind all week long. Look at the impact of social media on our society. Some of it's okay, I will admit. I love watching, seeing pictures on Facebook. Love seeing being here freezing in the north and seeing pictures of our friends in the south on the beach. That's okay. They deserved it. They really did. Time away. Some of it's okay, but I personally believe a lot of it is being used by the prince of this world. Satan himself is trying to destroy families, people, yes, even the church. Those of you who are in ABF already heard this verse from Colossians 2.8. It's a strong I would say warning. 
Colossians 2.8, see that no one takes you captive through the philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than to Christ. It's all coming back to Christ every single time. I'm going to go through these next three rather quickly because it's just to make a couple of points. 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us that we are God's possession. Romans 6.16 tells us that we are servants unto obedience. And James 1.22 says we should be what? Anybody know? Doers of the word and not hearers only. Now listen to this next statement. Those three verses I just read to you are not arbitrary. They're not arbitrary. They are God's expectations for every one of us that know him as Lord and Savior. That's what he expects of us. We're expected to be committed. It isn't a pastime that we do on Sunday morning. It should be a lifestyle. It should be a lifestyle. It means everything we do, everything we say, every decision we make is governed by God's will, not ours. That's a tough one to swallow for human beings. God's will, not ours. Have you turn with me to John chapter 13. I want to read just a few verses from there. These are some thoughts that I was able to glean from a well-known pastor from California, John MacArthur. Just have a few things to say about them. They're in your, the, the title of the three marks of a committed Christian are in your little outline. But I'd like to read uh, John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. And so after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. And when therefore he had gone out, Jesus said, now who had just gone out? Judas, right. Judas had just left. When therefore he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Now I say to you also... A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me later. Peter then said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for me? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall crow, not crow, excuse me. Truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow until you deny me three times. Just some thoughts from Pastor MacArthur about this particular portion and so forth. Uh, Your outline says an unending preoccupation with the glory of God. That is a mark of a committed Christian. Unending preoccupation with the glory of God. The committed Christian is preoccupied and absorbed with the Lord's glory. The very purpose we exist is to give glory to God. 
he meaning us, we are not concerned about ourselves. We shouldn't be or preoccupied with our own glory. Our purpose is to give the Lord glory in everything we do. His life reflects the attributes, our life reflects the attributes of God, and God is praised by the way we live. Even though the cross, this is an interesting statement, even though the cross looked like shame, disgrace, and disaster, it was glory. It was glory for those that know the Lord. Number two, an unfailing love for the children of God. The distinguishing mark of a committed Christian is most significant of all. This, this particular mark, an unfailing love for the children of God, is most significant of all the terms in practical living. As believers in Christ, we have a new God-given capacity to love. Romans 5.5, 5. many of these verses are very familiar to you. Romans 5.5, 5. and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then on into Romans 13.8, <clears throat> owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Number three, an unswerving Loyalty to the Son of God. In those verses I just read from John 13, loyalty is more implied than expressed, especially as it pertains to Peter, a man who faltered many times but proved himself to be a genuinely committed believer and a true disciple. Discipleship demands a practice loyalty an operating, functioning kind of loyalty, loyalty that holds up under every kind of pressure. We have pressures coming at us from every direction in this world today, folks. I'm going to turn this around to a little bit more personal once again. Personal. One area that I have a concern for in the next generation is will they follow in the footsteps of those who were committed to begin this work to begin with? That's like a double something or other. As we have talked about commitment, it comes in many forms. Our commitment must always be to Jesus Christ first. How are you doing with that? Are your toes a little pinched right now? Mine are. Is he first place in your life or has the world crowded you in with all of its temptations and crowded him out? So easy to fall into that trap. Things we got to get done. You all heard it. There's only two things to go to heaven with us. People, what's the second one? The Word of God. That's all that's going with us. People and the Word of God. I'm going to get downright nasty now. How about this question? What if Jesus was as committed to you as you are to him. I don't know where that came from. I thought that up. That's not John MacArthur. That came from my heart because I'm asking myself the same question. Am I committed to him as much as he's committed to me? Commitment is not only loving and serving. It also involves giving. If I didn't squeeze your toes, now now I'm going to start to. We are so blessed to have a very giving church family. 
One of my future concerns is for the current missionaries that we support, 17 different families and individuals that we support. Without knowing, and I checked this with Dale before I told you, without knowing any names, Dale indicated to our missions committee several months back that the majority of the giving to the missions budget is by folks over 50 years old. You think about that for a little bit. This is not a condemnation. It's just to let us know what we're, where we're at. That does concern me. How do we encourage the next generation to support not only the church, but our missionaries that depend on us completely? I'm going to revert back to a statement I made about Dan Kenyon early on. In the area of leadership, Dan very graciously mentored the early leaders of this church, faithfully studying the God's word with them on a regular basis. 2 Timothy 2.2 reminds us why he did that. And these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Now if you look at the New King James, that will say commit instead of entrust. But to do that, to to, uh, entrust or commit to faithful men, what for? so that they will be able to teach others also. I'm going out on a limb. I didn't ask the elders about this, but I'm going to put them on a spot. And I know they're more than willing. After what I just read in that verse in 2 Timothy 2.2, the elders are willing to mentor young men who have a desire and a willingness to lead in the years to come. If I'm speaking to one of you or more, one, more than one of you, You need to ask the Lord for wisdom and direction and pray about whether that's you. And then speak to one of us. Going back to those three marks, unfailing love for, I'm sorry, unending preoccupation with the glory of God, number one. Number two, an unfailing love for the children of God. And number three, an unswerving loyalty to the Son of God. They sound pretty ominous. I want to just encourage you. You may lack the marks of a committed Christian. Here we go. But God can transform you into a true disciple if you simply surrender and let him have your will. The life of a committed Christian may be costly. Boy, just ask the voice of the martyrs if it's costly. But it's the only kind of life that really counts. What goes to heaven? People. In the word of God. I want to try to keep this positive and end this on, on a positive note. By God's marvelous grace and mercy, we are blessed to have a wonderful, loving, and giving church family that serves Jesus Christ and one another. If the Lord tarries, we would treasure Alpha and Elman being a strong and vital witness into the next century. I have simply shared my heart as it pertains to the future of Alpha and Bible Church. It's been said many ways, but that we are only one generation. Generation? Sounds like Daffy Duck. (laughs) We're only one generation away from what? Extinction. One generation. Do you understand my, my burden? This may sound trite. 
but it's not meant to be. We have to plan ahead. We have to. But more importantly, we have to disciple one another. Steve's class and what Ed's taught on in discipling, they all fit together. We must love and disciple one another. It doesn't mean sitting in a classroom and having one of us lead you. It means sharing Christ with one another every time we're together. I know it's important to talk about, I won't even say it, Ken, the bills. But it's more important to talk about the one who loves you and the one who saved you. So we must plan ahead, we must love and disciple one another, and we must, the scripture says, pray what? Without ceasing. That's impossible, you know that. I'm not, it's not 24 hours a day all you do is pray, but you're in an attitude of prayer as often as you are able. We need to pray for God's protection and his provision with the ultimate goal of bringing him glory. couple questions. How about you personally? Is Jesus Christ first place in your life or is some work to do there? Are you committed to Jesus Christ first, to your family and to this body of believers? I'm going to pull another one on the elders and deacons. They don't know I'm doing this, but I'm going to ask all the elders and deacons that are here this morning, just to stand up so people can recognize who you are, if you would. That includes you, Pastor Ken. You're an elder. The reason I'm having you do that is if you're here, maybe it's the first time you've stepped foot in this church and you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is if you recognize any one of these men or the person that brought you here, you guys can sit down. Thank you. Go and talk to them. Ask them about this Jesus that you just heard about the one who can save your soul for eternity. I can't say any simpler than that. Have the courage. Don't leave this building today without going to one of those men. Or maybe you know someone here There's a solid believer that can share with you about Jesus Christ. Thank you for being attentive. I'll close us in prayer, and then we're going to sing another song. Um, I just need to tell you, it was, it was hard for me to come up here because, bless her heart, she didn't know, but it is well with my soul. It was probably the most emotional song I ever sang at Alfred Alvin Bible Church when it started. I didn't know it was going to be last. And I'm not trying to draw attention to me, but that song really spoke to my heart. Then she throws in wonderful, merciful Savior. I carry a big handkerchief. And it's not to draw attention to me. I'm just, it's just trying to show you my heart and where it's at with this church and how I so want it to continue on glorifying God. Some of us have been given 70 years. Some of us 80. We never know. I don't know. I didn't have any of this written down. I don't know why I'm doing this, but you're seeing the real me right now. Um, Having said that, I'll just reiterate again. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, please don't leave here without talking to somebody about it today. Would you join me in prayer?
Gracious Heavenly Father, I'll say it once again. All that we have, all that we are, all that we hope to be is by your grace. We have done nothing to contribute to our salvation. We've done nothing to earn your favor. We simply come to you in humility and ask for your continued guidance and direction, leading, blessing, provision, every aspect of this church body, Lord, we pray that you will guide us. I know, especially in our day and time, evil is everywhere, and we just pray for your protection for this body of believers, for each individual person, all the way up to grandma and grandpas. Protect us, Lord, in the days ahead. Keep us ever mindful of our responsibility to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.